0: Hi, Alexandra. Thanks for joining me today, friend.
1: Hi, Toshin. It's really nice to be talking to you.
0: Yes, uh, been looking forward to this for a while. So glad we could make it happen. Uh, I think there's a lot of really good stuff we can talk about today, and uh, really, I think there's going to be some interesting direction. So, um, I suspect that you know I've been really grateful to come to know you over the past months, and uh, you are pretty quiet online. And so I suspect people might not know you very well. So I would love to just start with the the tricky question, which is about your life story, just to give some context to people for who you are and, and, and what you're interested in.
1: Yeah. So um, I'll try to do this a little bit quickly, but I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and then I got into marketing pretty much because I was a bumbling 20 something year old and didn't know um, what to do and that was a fit for my skills and um, there's people who will pay you to do marketing and I was really excited about that at that point point. And, um, and then I went on to manage a small e-commerce company um, doing sustainable botanical products and was a marketing director there. And from there, I kind of did the digital nomad thing, tried to do that. I went to Chiang Mai in Thailand, um, as you do uh, typically. And then I was really into Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies because I was uh, trying to invest in something that wasn't evil. And um, I didn't really trust stocks, but so I thought, oh, crypto, maybe that's something cool. At that time, I didn't know about proof of work, which is a wasteful um Way of securing a network. There's now proof of stake, which is not uh, wasteful, as wasteful, nearly as wasteful. Um, But um, I kind of got into that whole scene and was really interested in it. And so I got a job working um, doing communications for a blockchain company. Um, And then Since then, I've been trying to figure out um, the next direction. And so I've been I'm really interested in sustainability and saving the planet and helping people and um, caring for animals. And just I get really I have like a lot of energy for supporting those who don't have a voice. Um, And and also, you know, that can include the future generations who we can't, you know, they're not present with us yet, Um, or you know, obviously the next generation kind of is, but um, there's many, many more generations who are being impacted by our actions. So um, yeah, and so I was kind of trying to figure out like what to do next. And I realized that, hey, there's a lot of money in crypto. There's a lot of people who have probably more money than they need. Um, Maybe I can get those people to donate to effective charities. And so I am founding the uh, Crypto Philanthropy Club and it's at the very beginning of that, but trying to get people to be engaged uh, who are in crypto, who maybe are interested in donating some of their crypto gains um, to really good causes.
0: Mm-hmm. Wonderful, yeah, that's a great overview. And um, I don't know, uh, maybe you just wanna take a moment to reflect like in that, which might not be, um, yeah, just reflect like, what it is that I've really appreciated about you as well, which just to kind of set the context here of like, I think you're, you're one of the kindest people I've met. I think you are extremely loving and really care about the planet and other people. And you're also extremely generous. One of the most generous people I've met and, uh, the way that you practice generosity is really beautiful to me. And, uh, yeah. And I think the specific skills that you've cultivated, uh, over the years are, are much needed by good projects that are, trying to help the world. And I love that you're trying to use those skills to be of benefit in the world. And uh, yeah, I want to dive deeper into all that. So uh, yeah, I think if I reflect on it, um, I like five or 10 years ago, my old self would be surprised that I've gotten interested, for example, in marketing and be like, what are you, why are you interested in that? Uh, what's the use in that? And um, it's, If you have a project that you're trying to help people with, trying to help the world with, then it becomes important to share what you're doing with other people. And from that perspective, uh, marketing is really, really useful. And um, maybe from that point, I'd be curious to hear from you just what exactly doing marketing for a company involves, like what that involves practically and what kind of work you did.
1: Yeah, um, so with marketing, I'm sort of a full stack marketer. That's what I call There's I don't think that's actually a term, but um, I've mostly worked in small companies. And so I've had to sort of wear all the hats of that might be uh, distributed to specialists in a larger company. Um, so Generally with marketing, I would say that it's all about, your, you've you got some product or you've got something that you want people to know about and you generally want them to take some action. Um, so let's say you want them to to buy a course. And so you um, need to figure out how to like come into these people's worlds. So right now, there's probably a bunch of people who have a course that I would want. Um, they have to somehow figure out like, okay, what is, what is it that I'm looking at in my Everyday reality. How do they enter into the reality, and how do they kind of wave a flag that says, "Hey, you know, follow me, um, and I'm going to take you somewhere that you want to go. That's going to be that's going to propel you on where you want to go as an individual. Um, so, you know, how do you plant that flag, and then also how do you make it? Um, enticing enough so that somebody really realizes, okay, what is the value of this? What is the promise? This is in line with what I want. This is for me. Um, So that then they uh, kind of grab onto this flag and then propel them into your world um, as, you know, if it's a course, then, you know, to learn more about the course and to figure out how this is going to work and, you know, all the details for that. Um, So there's like a lot of different things that happen in that journey. So there's, There's a core product, um, which is more product development, Um, but there's the kind of messaging around it, like, what is the transformational benefit that I'm going to get from this course? Um, Right now I'm trying to learn Portuguese, so I'm trying to like understand, okay, what is the tool that's going to get me to the place that I want to go, which is being conversational and stopping awkward in conversations and Oh, how can I most effectively in the most fun way get there is basically. So um, it's funny because I've got like um, just, you know, there's like two different courses that are, I'm sort of evaluating. And one that seems fun and one doesn't seem fun. So I'm like, okay, this is it. So there's the kind of like messaging and um, really understanding where the person is. Um, so that can be like market research. Um, then there's doing the flag, which can be social media that can be, um, ads that can be referrals. Often referrals are are the best because um, then the person is getting in contact. You're getting entering into the relationship realm, um, which can be a lot easier than you know an online ad to get people's attention. Um, and then there's once you've, okay, so once you have the flag and you've got all the different ways where people can find the flag, then you've got to kind of keep people activated because it's not usually... Um that if somebody is that somebody's going to just click buy, you know, on a course instantly. So then usually typically that's email marketing. Email marketing is really important, even today in the realm of social media. Um, it's just the most reliable way to stay in touch. Um, you could do direct outreach, which would be sales. Um, yeah, so there's like all of these different, I think you can kind of start to see like there's all of these different ways that are associated with getting somebody to make that step and have that transformation.
0: Hmm. If, if you had been in a bigger company that did marketing, what would the kind of, what are the kind of like typical departments or divisions of how think people split things up?
1: Yeah, I, so it kind of depends what the uh, product is or what the company is, um, but generally, You would find like an email marketing specialist, you'd find a paid ads specialist, find SEO specialist, um, kind of a copywriter, graphic designer. um, You can have like a product marketing expert who's just kind of owning like what is the marketing strategy for this product. Could have a growth hacker who's really looking to um, that's often when you have paid ads and you're looking to, well, not necessarily, but sometimes it can be like the normal way of selling this product is we've got paid ads and, you know, the, the, the revenue minus the ads is kind of our net profit. And so a growth marketer often can be like trying to figure out different ways to, um, like making that bottom line better, um, with various different ways.
0: Hmm. Okay. I know you've done some work in recent years with small nonprofits or similar ventures. And I wonder if there are any themes of things that you like, wish that these groups that are trying to help the world knew about marketing.
1: Yeah. Um, I think the, there's the, my go-to thing is like, okay, use email marketing. If you don't have an email list, get the email list. If you're not sending emails, send them um, at least once a month. Um, And that's kind of an easy one, but it's hard to put into practice. Um, I think the thing that I see the most is that people assume that people care about you. Um, And that's really harsh, but it's kind of, I think what I'm trying to say here is that um, everybody's really, really busy and everybody has so much information coming in to them. And so if you send an email, let's, uh, for example, and the email is like monthly update. It's like, cool, well, I'm scanning all of my my whole inbox and I'm figuring out what I can throw out because there's no way I can get through all these emails. Um, So if it's monthly update, I'm going to say, okay, cool, that's not important. Um, I can put that away. Um, But if it was something like, hey, we planted 500 new farms or something um this month this is how we did it like or how did we do it like something that has curiosity in the subject line then i'm like oh wow that's cool they're like actually um doing action and um so then even if i still don't open it at least i have this like there's like a one headline that is in my mind and now i filed it under this company and so now that has is building the relationship so that's a lot more effective, and also more likely I'm going to open it because I'm curious about what this organization is doing and like what is this groundbreaking thing, and then that's also building the relationship so that um, when the time comes that I'm more likely to you know support that organization if that's what they're wanting from me, um, and like there's, it's like the Giving Tuesday um, time, or I guess maybe it just was. And I felt like there were just all of these organizations were bombarding me with emails. I'm like, I haven't heard from you all year. Like you can't, um, it's like a relationship. Like you can't be um, calling your friend from high school that you haven't talked to in 10 years and ask them to like pick you up from the airport. Like it doesn't work like that. So it's all about, um, I think, realizing how that this is a relationship. And so Um, how can you make this an intimate, awesome relationship with your audience, even though they feel so distant if they're just like email contacts in a database.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Is there anything else that you find that you typically tell nonprofits or groups that they need to know, or they don't already know?
1: Yeah. I think that there's, there's, there's a tendency to sort of, um, there's a few tendencies there's one is um kind of betting that one strategy is going to work so it's like oh i'm just gonna like message people on linkedin that's my strategy because i saw some marketing or i listened to some marketing podcast and that's what they said to do and so then they'll like try that and then it won't work and then they'll kind of be sad and I think that you need a different mindset. You need more of like a scientific mindset in terms of like figuring out what working strategy is going to fit. And so it's a lot better to have like 10 different ideas and to be running experiments and to say, okay, I did this X number of times, this is what happened um, and this didn't work. And this is is what has worked in the past. I'm also paying attention to that. Um, And I think that if you use a more scientific viewpoint it's a little bit less personal and it's a little bit easier to act upon and because obviously a lot of these organizations, like sometimes there's runway or they're, and I think the biggest issue is that they're just trying to wear a million hats and plus marketing, plus lower marketing. Um, and that's really challenging. Um, but I think if you can kind of take it in a light kind of playful um, experimental way, it might be a little bit easier.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm sort of laughing because I've, I've been there and it is, there's like too much to do, too many projects too few people uh, and yeah, but yeah, if it's fun, if, if it's fun, then that's, that's the work that definitely happens. So making it experiments is, is a really good suggestion. Um, yeah, I'd love to talk as well about um, generosity and your practice of generosity personally, and also this project you've started. Um, maybe you could just begin by talking about uh, like what generosity means to you and, and how you started practicing generosity.
1: Yeah. I think generosity to me comes back to, um, like I, I do, a kind of visualization a lot and it's, um, okay. If I were to die tomorrow, um, and I were floating up from my body and, you know, still had kind of all the cognition that I still have, um, what would I be sad about? Um, and so I start from there and for me, and this is totally different from for everybody. But for me, it's always like, oh, I didn't help enough people. Like I I feel like I was born into um a, a situation where I have had a lot of privilege. Um, like my family structure was pretty solid. Um, I had a good childhood, survived traumas and with my psyche being relatively intact. Um and I yeah, just have more resources and not struggling um, to just to get by. So to me, like when I look at the whole world, I see that that's really unique and that's rare. And so I'm one of the people who have like, you know, free hands that can go and can kind of help other people who can't help. Like I think a lot about factory farming and um, like cows who are just like installs and they can't move and they can't Um, change their situation at all. And they're stuck in this cycle. Um, And so obviously, it takes somebody outside of them to free them from, like, you know, obviously, this is in the scenario where they're treated very poorly. Um, So I I feel like there's an obligation. And um, I have found that this is not common. um, But this is just the logic that makes sense to me. And so from that, um, like, also with, you know, in the reflection of dying, then you have to kind of think about like, okay, well, I'm not dead yet. That's awesome. Um, I still have the ability to help. Um, And for me, giving, like donating to effective organizations has been my way because I've been in the for-profit sector or the technology sector most recently. And so I um, just, I think it just has been my path to um, be in that Um, partially due to I don't know, uh, just never winding up in the nonprofit sector. I think I'd be really interested to work in that sector, um, but I haven't. And so then I've been, you know, making higher salaries than somebody in a nonprofit sector. So I'm like, okay, what can I do? And I realize, oh, I just can use some of this money. And then I am supporting other people. And so it's kind of like, um, it, it's, it's just like um, empowering somebody else to do the work that I would like to do personally. Um, and it's also really easy. I feel like giving money, you just click but some buttons online. I just think it's its ridiculous. Like um, when I think about the people who are working in um, helping um, animals in factory farming situations, they have to deal with this all the time. They have to think about it. They have to deal, like I, that like would be a nightmare for me um, because I'd get so depressed but these people all I have to do is just like click a button and I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, mercy for animals. Cool. You go do that and you deal with it. And Mm. so I feel like it's a little bit, um, like an amazing hack that you get, you even get to do this. Um, and I don't know that's a little bit of a tangent, but uh, those are a little bit of my thoughts on generosity.
0: Hmm. Yeah. uh, It's also just, it feels good to give and it's like, it's a joyful practice. And, uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate that it's coming from the sense of obligation, but I have also seen you demonstrate like how, how joyful it is to give. And, uh, and, and also um, something I want to point out, too, just for the record, sort of, uh, is that uh, you are not just generous with your money, but also with your time and, and in other ways. And like, you know, even if someone's listening to this uh, and is inspired by generosity, that doesn't mean you have to, you know, have money or something, you can be generous with your time and energy or in other ways. And, uh, it's a larger practice than just financial giving, I'd say, would, would you agree with that?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. No, I'm, i think I'm, um, so being in this project of, um, Creative philanthropy club, I'm mm-hmm. more thinking about financial generosity. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's true that time is also another one, but it's also interesting that what you say about me being generous, cause I feel like I'm always fighting this battle of, um, think like greed or selfishness versus generosity Mm. and um yeah and i think it's it'll be a lifelong um process um you know i think if you really master it then your mother Teresa giving away her eyeglasses to somebody Mm. else who needs them Mm. um really not there but Mm -hmm. it's a cool it's a cool journey to be on
0: Mm. what is that battle like when you experience it
1: yeah um yeah, it's interesting because I did so I uh, I joined the Giving What We Can community and signed the pledge to that says like okay, I will give 10% of my annual income to effective charities. Um and so I a few years ago I was just finding that really difficult to do um because I was like, oh, this money could do all this stuff. This is a lot of money. Um and so I started interviewing people and who were also part of this community. And what I found was that there's people who do not feel that way at all. Mm. <laughs> there's people who just like, they're just like, no, I'm just so excited that I get to, I only need, you know, just some garbanzo beans every month. And <laughs> I mean, I'm downplaying it, but um, they're really, really selfless. And and then I also finally uh, talked to somebody else who said that they also found it difficult. And I was like, yes, great. <laughs> um, so it made me feel not alone. Um, mm. But I think that, and it's also like, oh, what, how much is enough to give? And so just that whole kind of line, I think is um, always in question for me and it's always attention.
0: Mm -hmm. So you're like wanting to give to a project, uh, but you're like not questioning yourself of how much to give or like thinking of how it could be used in other ways or something like that. And just kind of having internal conflict about that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And in a way, I think that's probably even more virtuous to like have those conflicts and still still give and still support things. So, uh, yeah, I, I really admire that. And, th- and thanks for being frank about it because uh, I imagine other people have those internal conflicts as well. And it's inspiring to see someone give anyway. So, um, yeah. What what kinds of projects and communities and organizations do you like to support?
1: Um, so there is. And this is, I also find this really interesting because I feel so strongly about my cause areas, but Mm. um, everybody's really different. And I think it's really cool. And it just shows how different people's values are and Mm. it shows, and I think also it like creates this beautiful, like if you layer over everybody's cares and what they think is the most important thing to um, contribute to, then I think you actually have a fairly holistic picture um, of like human life on some level. Um, But so I have like different areas. So the first one is um, getting psychedelics legalized or supporting um, psychedelic sustainability. And that's just um, more coming from realizing that it's hard to get through life, modern life without being traumatized, I think. Um, And so how can we support people? Um, We don't have a lot of really great modalities for dealing with trauma. Um, I think that that's pretty evident in seeing PTSD recovery rates versus um, vets who have worked with MDMA or other people with PTSD working with MDMA, um, which might be some people consider that a psychedelic, but I'd group that into psychedelic over category. Um, So yeah, so that's one thing. Um, And this year, I was really excited to support this group of Native American tribes who are working on a peyote, um, what's it called, peyote sustainability movement. So they're kind of um, making it possible for them to um, grow their own peyote and um, because it's endangered actually due to the really, really horrible treatment of the lands where uh, the peyote is grown. So we're super excited about that. And also it's a smaller project. So if you give um, they actually, like you f- kind of feel it more. Um, so that was really, really fun. And the other ones are like Rainforest Protection. I'm super excited about those. Um, any project with that, that's making a difference because I don't know, like forests and trees, like I really identify with trees. Um, and so anything about trees and conserving trees and um, and also like we were so into planting new trees, which I'm, I'm very into planting new trees too but like we have trees that are standing, like let's protect them. Mm. Um, So I feel, yeah, very strongly about that. And then um, animal, yeah, factory farming, anything around um, enabling animals to suffer less and have more beautiful lives and be able to meet their natural needs. um, I feel pretty strongly about, Um, let me see, I've got a whole list, let's check if I'm missing anything. Yeah, and the the first well the organization about POD is called the Indigenous POD Conservation Initiative. Um, Oh yeah, and then Five Gyres. um, I don't know how to pronounce that. Five Gyres. Mm. I have no idea. Okay, but it's about um, plastic pollution research and also education and. Um, they're based in San, in Los Angeles or San Diego area. Anyway, but they're like originally uh, like surf, surfer people who kind of noticed all of this uh, plastic pollution in the ocean. And so they are, yeah, um, working to figure out solutions to that. So I think that they're really cool. And then finally is um, more in line with, I think, Tasha, your journey is so there's Dharma Gates, which is. Um, is helping young people to um, look, you know, meditate and learn about uh, monasteries and um, develop a practice, which I think is really beautiful. And also, um, um, yeah, monastic academy. And so enabling, like creating this new Western um, version of a monastery that I think it's just a really, really interesting project, and I love watching it unfold and develop.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, that's about
0: it. Seems like maybe the broad sort of buckets there, are like contemplative practice, uh, the environment, and uh, like psychedelics legalization and and use. Is that is that all the buckets, or is there anything else there?
1: Um. No, that's that's about it.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I'm curious, maybe there's not, but is there anything that you would say that sort of connects those three cause areas for you?
1: yeah, I think it's all about suffering, like mm. all of those things are about um reducing suffering. Mm.
0: It's beautiful, yeah, yeah, I really resonate with all of those uh causes as well, and um I've you know i I know a fair bit about contemplative practice and also some extent about the environment, but I've been very curious this year about uh psychedelics legalization and, uh, what the sort of path is to making those tools available to people. I mean, I know that, uh, marijuana has kind of gone through this journey over the last century where it's been, you know, it was illegal. And then now it's been, you know, decriminalized in places and legalized in the States. And I would love to see MDMA and possibly other psychedelics go through a similar, similar journey, but it's, it's tricky. um, Do do you know much about that or what the sort of path there is to legalization?
1: Yeah, so uh, MAPS is really working to, and that's a a really leading premier organization that's been working on legalizing marijuana and psychedelics um, for, I think, 40 years or something like that. Um, But so their strategy is to do these MDMA studies. Um, So there's a ton of MDMA studies, uh, not just in the US, but now worldwide. And they are showing that MDMA um, for PTSD is super effective um, at basically removing, healing people of PTSD. Um, And so that's, they're starting with MDMA because obviously MDMA is easier to work with. Um, You're not tripping as much you're not hallucinating it's um people are more in a kind of in a high enhanced sober mind i would say um but they're i think it's they're like there's something that happens where they're um they're actually able to access the um trapped parts, the traumatic part experiences, um, and then reintegrate them into it. Like there's some really, really interesting neuroscience that I'm not remembering. Um, but it's really fascinating anyway. Um, but so they are trying to get that to be legalized, um, for practitioners to be able to offer trained practitioners, to be able to offer sessions, um, with MDMA. And then, um, because that's the sort of easiest bar um, because right now there's uh, PTSD is a huge crisis and the United States, for example, is paying a huge amount to support vets with PTSD, but there's no resolution for these poor people. Um, So anyway, so you can see how that's kind of like an easy win. And so Mm -hmm. from there, they're hoping that the tides will sort of change, and there will be a route to follow. Um, I know that psilocybin. I think that that would probably be next. I'm assuming um, there's a lot of great end of life studies that are happening or that have happened. Um, so people who have are dying of cancer, for example, and they're very, very afraid of death, um, will take a uh, take psilocybin and be able to change their relationship to that fear, which is crazy. Like, um, so like, how important is that? Like, how scary is that to be facing death and to be terrified of it? Um, So that's what I believe is, I'm not, I'm not an expert. I've just been sort of following this, but I believe that's sort of um, the idea for, for the plan.
0: Yeah, that's a good plan. I hope that it moves forward. I think that these things are uh, a benefit to have available and um, also to like, Yeah, if they're they're on the open market as opposed to sort of black markets, like I think that's a lot safer for people as well. So um, yeah, I know it's been a big theme on this podcast so far as well about the environment and uh, coming back to different perspectives about it. There there are really, really different perspectives out there about the environment of, uh, you know, pretty pessimistic ones of like, this is going to go really poorly and this is the end of the world and there are people that are more optimistic that are like, here's the levers that we have of what we can do. And it's been interesting to hear so many different perspectives on it. And I'd be curious to ask, like how you're currently orienting towards the environmental crisis and, and how you see that and what what might be coming in the future.
1: And tough question. Mm-hmm. Um. So I am, I think I'm fairly pessimistic um, and just reading, I think I, went into a stage of trying to become acquainted with, um, yeah, biodiversity loss, climate change, <sighs> um, and then also not really seeing a path out of capitalism, which is, it's what it's what's, this is, um, and resource. We don't have a very good way to manage resources. And I basically stopped, I had to stop um, researching because I became unable to really function. Um, and it's and then I'm, I'm sort of just doing what I can to direct resources to things. Um, and I think part of like psychedelics that I'm interested in terms of this is like we just need a totally different mindset as a species um in relation to the environment and i think that that is happening with the younger generation um, they seem way more aware of like hey we can't just be producing all this crap um we can't be flying all the time we can't be doing these things um yeah fossil fuels just can't have them um so but i think that psychedelics can be a way to process to kind of open us up to different states of being um, and and be in a more holistic place within ourselves. And I think that that would enable people to sort of act in better ways Um, because it just seems like our society is not able to act in a way that is within our planetary resources.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot lot of variables there Uh, like what our society's worldview is and our economic structures. And I think something I'm hearing and what you're saying is like, the outlook is pretty bleak. If you, if we keep going with the same culture and societal structures that we have and uh, it sort of same old, same old, but that there might be, if we're able to switch sort of our cultural operating system through things like psychedelics or also contemplative practice or just different, structures, even uh, it's almost like hard to imagine a different world because that would be such a different uh, setup, but that if, if we can kind of change those variables, perhaps there's a way out or, or some path forward that's hard to visualize at this time. Uh, does that, uh, how does that land for you?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think also like I'm, I'm um, being an ostrich at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, Due to just needing to continue to function.
0: Um,
1: what do you mean by an ostrich? I like um, sticking my head in this the sand. I see. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, think...
1: I don't think that that's an answer, but that's where I'm at.
0: Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah, that's real, and I think um, we've talked about this before. But like, I think that it seems like there's like grief associated there when when you like look at the research. There's there's grief and confusion and disorientation and overwhelm and like that's something that a lot of people certainly even including myself like aren't willing to feel or look at and like I think even just acknowledging that or experiencing that to some degree is like maybe part of the work that needs to happen is like just feeling that grief and opening up to it so uh, I appreciate that you you know Both are willing to look there and acknowledge that and that you're taking care of yourself, doing what you need to and taking the actions that you can to to be of service in the situation, kind of balancing those very different needs there. So uh, it makes sense to me that that you'd be protecting yourself. So, yeah.
1: Um, What's what's your feeling? Are you optimistic or are you pessimistic?
0: Well, I think... um, I don't know how to describe it exactly, but it's something like, hmm, I have a video about this actually that I made earlier this year and I might phrase it differently. It's sort of a uh, um, uh, extemporaneous talk that I gave on YouTube that was just like how I was thinking about it at that time. And it's sort of at a particular snapshot, but it's something like um, it feels like we're at a fork in the road and uh, you know, there, there are futures that are terrible. And you know I, I use, a, it's a metaphor in, in this talk or video of hell realms, right? It's a metaphor, but like they're sort of hellish paths. And I think that there are more, again, this is a metaphor, but more like heavenly realms that we could enter. Um, you know, there are futures that are more positive and, beneficial. And it seems, mm, I don't know for sure that that's the case that, but like, I mean, I don't, I can't know the future, but like, it's all, I almost say it's like, I have to orient in a way where heavenly realms or positive outcomes, positive futures are possible. And I have to do my part to steer towards those positive outcomes. And I don't know what the future holds, but I have to like, do what's in my own power to steer towards good outcomes. And that may or may not be enough, but for my own sanity and integrity, I have to take action in the ways that I know how to, to be of benefit. And because it's a huge complex systemic issue, I don't think there are any easy answers there for what to do. And, uh, No one person can solve it alone, but I think it's sort of, there's an impetus for each person to do what is in their power and what seems good to them. And almost like every, almost every single person I've talked to on this podcast about the environment has this sort of like hesitation of like, Oh man, like, I don't know. I don't know what to say because it's such a complex problem. No one can see it all at once. Um, And so from that perspective of, of being an enormous complex Problem. I think it, the impetus is on each of us to within our local realm to do what seems wise and good to us, which is going to be different to different people because they have a different perspective, a different vantage point. And so for me, for example, just as one example, it's not, it's not a complete example, but one thing I can do is talk to people about it on this podcast and just hear the different perspectives that people have and give an audience, a voice, a platform to people that do have a perspective. Uh, people that go back and listen to the different episodes that have been about climate will hear there are some radically different perspectives on climate that that uh, don't fit together easily. And, and just facing those different perspectives and holding it in complexity without um, sort of being too swayed by one, I think is a service that I'm in a position to do is just to like hear what the perspectives are and give voice to them so that other people can hear the recordings and so on. And that's just one thing, but, um, I try to live a simple life as well. Um, I fly a lot more than I'd like to, but, um, other than that, you know, I I live a pretty simple, simple life and, um, try to keep my own resource usage low, uh, you know, I I think we as a planet could do better. I could do better personally, but I try to keep that in mind. And um, yeah, those are those are kind of that's kind of how I see it. If um, there are definitely bad outcomes and there might be good outcomes. And I'd like to use my skills and power to steer towards the best possible outcomes that there, there could be. And uh, some of those might even be quite good where this is a significant positive shift for us as a society and a planet, um, I can, I can hope for that and try to help bring that about might be naive, but, uh, I don't know. That's kind of how I see it at this time. I, I don't know how much sense that makes, but
1: it does. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very inspiring to hear. And, um, yeah, I think that that's like, what I'm hearing is like, okay, you are seeing that you have a part to play and you're kind of doing that almost like, um, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like maybe you're doing this, like, okay, I'm going to do this um, to the best of my ability and I can't be dependent on outcomes. I just know that this is the right path to take and kind of surrendering a bit.
0: Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, because it's an enormous complex problem, it is impossible that I alone could solve the issue, but that's not, it's um, not permission to avoid taking the actions that I can take. Uh, both both the ones that are sort of general and prescribed, like, you know, yeah, it's good to fly less, for example, pretty much everybody has agreed about that. Or, you know, there's other, other things, I don't know, but like also the things that are um, unique and specific to you, like, me having this podcast, for example, like that's a thing that I can do. Um, that I think is actually probably of more net benefit than me flying less. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about that, but like hearing the different perspectives that there are on the offer. That's something that I personally can do. And there are other things that other people can do that are specific to them and their skills and their situation and their vantage point. And I think those people should do those things. You're doing the thing that you know how to do and like we need that. We need everyone to do the thing that they feel called to do. And I think that's how complex, enormous problems are resolved, is each local actor doing their best to do the thing that seems like a net positive to them. For
1: sure.
0: Um, yeah, maybe we could talk a bit about the Crypto Philanthropy Club and what it is that you're hoping to create there, um, since that's that's sort of your, your project and contribution. I would love to hear more about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's... Um it's really just starting. So, mm-hmm. I just had this idea. And actually, part of it was inspired due to your assignment. So, mm-hmm. um, it would be great to talk about that. But mm-hmm. um, basically, um, the project is just trying to create some sort of um, force in the crypto industry, I'd say, um, that is that makes it kind of cool to give and makes it kind of the norm to to give to effective organizations. And it's really interesting because the crypto space is this like crazy realm of hungry ghosts. It's just like hungry ghost after hungry ghost of like more and FOMO and greed and just like never enough. And it's nuts, it's totally nuts. And so I think that one thing that I'm working on with myself uh, internally is like, okay, when is something enough? Um, like, Oh, when is it enough that I've had enough chocolate or when is it enough that, you know, there's enough money to give back or, or when is it, um, anything, um, anything. It's just this, this, um, thing that's really present in my life right now and, or myself, you know, Oh, am, am I enough? Um, and yeah. And so I'm kind of like, I feel like I'm entering into that conversation with other people. And, um, and so I'm kind of trying to tell people like, hey, maybe you have enough. Maybe you have enough and you can give to these cool organizations, but also like present people with the opportunity that they have um, to make a difference. And I feel like there is a disconnect for people where it's like, oh, I click a button. Well, what does that do? And so how do you make that tangible? And so that's kind of a problem that I'm really curious to figure out how to solve. And um, yeah, I was talking to one person about this project and they're like, you're not going to, you're not going to make, but it, he was very um, pessimistic about whether I could encourage people to do this. Mm. And, um, and I think, I think it's going to be fun. And like other people have been, I think it's, it's not that I'll get the like crazy, you know, I need all of the Bitcoins for me. Um, like I'm not going to get those people, but maybe there's people who are in between. Um, it is, I did see some study that, uh, millennials and also, um, uh, people in crypto are more generous than, um, other people. So I'm hoping that that is the case and, um, yeah.
0: What are you envisioning the project will entail and what are you trying to do practically there?
1: Yeah. Great. Great question. Um, I'm still figuring it out to be Mm -hmm. totally honest. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's, I'm going to do, um, series of interviews similar to this and talk to different people. Um, I try to. I, I think I'm curious to see what ideas people have for this project because it, it seems to be like a thing that I'm like, oh, this actually maybe is just something that came to me and it's its own thing. It's its own like maybe idea in some ideal realm, and so I'm I'm just trying to like get evidence and um, not claim ownership over it, but just say like um, what are what are people seeing that this could be. Um, I think that it would be really cool to do a pledge. So there's uh, giving what we can. There's founders pledge. I saw some other pledge about for people who are going to inherit a lot of money, and so it's like, oh, I I will I promise to donate X Y Z. Um, so I'd really love to do that for crypto. Um, and then people in the space tend to want to see everything as a DAO or a blockchain somehow. So I'll probably start exploring that with people. Um, and I think that there could be some cool things. i like, okay, we're all going to send some tokens to this address. And then as a unit, we're going to vote on what organization to send it to. I, I think that there might be some kind of cool, creative, um, interesting things to, that we could do. But the main thing I want to do is to just get people to click the button, um, but also like provide some information also about, you know, taxes. How do you give crypto in in a tax advantage way so you can give the most? Um, how there's like a lot of intricacies with this. So um, trying to also be a resource and a guide for all of that.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's really exciting. I, I, it sounds like there's um, a few different sort of, possible components there of like creating community for people that might want to give and also like making it more normal and inspiring people and also maybe like an education aspect of helping people to do it practically. And then also there, yeah, it seems like there could be some really cool opportunities for how to distribute money or, or collectively pool money or things like that with given the sort of affordances of cryptocurrency. Uh, does, does that seem like sort of a broad sense of what you're hoping to create there.
1: Yeah, that's what's in the pressure
0: cooker. Mm-hmm. Cool, yeah, I'm excited to see how that how that turns out. And yeah, I think talking to people and doing interviews is a really good idea. Um, I'll be curious to hear those and, and listen to them if you do end up doing that.
1: Cool, well, I'm using your model that <laughs> we're using right right yeah. now. Just get so on a Zoom call
0: you. and hit record. It works pretty well, yeah. Cool, I love it. Yeah, is there anything that you would want to talk about or dive deeper into based on the different things we've talked about?
1: Yeah, um, so I was just mentioning that your assignment was Mm -hmm. part of the inspiration for this project. Um, And so you um, tweeted, just to give listeners a reference in case they don't know, but um, you tweeted and you're like, oh, do you want an assignment? I'll give you an assignment. And then um, I was like, I want an assignment. And then you told me to... um, you to my assignment was to tweet about um, all of the, you know, the various organizations I support. Um, And so, yeah, that got me thinking more of like, oh, I do do this thing that's probably weird and other people could do that too. And that got me thinking about Crypto Philanthropy Club. But I'm curious for you, um, what was your experience like in um, giving people all those assignments? Hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, hmm. Maybe before I answer that, what was your experience of like, like why did you want to get an assignment and what why, what, was, how did you receive that and what was that like for you? I, I, I would be curious to hear it from you before I sort of talk about my side of it, because I, I, it was interesting, the tone of voice that you used to describe it. You're like, oh, I'll just give you a project. Like that was kind of, the, the tweet was like, oh, there's a, will give you a project if you want. But uh, yeah, I'd be curious to hear how it, how it landed for you and what it was like for you before I, before I talk about it.
1: Well, so you hold in my universe, you hold this, um, place of like, I'm like, oh, if I interact with Toshin, Toshin will inspire me to be a better person. Mm. Um, so no, no pressure at all, <sighs> but that's, that's what, that's how you exist in my world. Mm. Um, so it's kind of like, you're kind of like, Aah going to be good people over here and then i'm like kind of like trying to I'm like okay i've got to like hitch my hitch my cart and like kind of like join this momentum um and so i'm like okay well probably this is going to be good and this is going to um help me to do some like soul push-ups whatever it is uh, that, so that that's my inspiration yeah. okay
0: all right wow that's a very high compliment thank you friend um big shoes to fill there so uh Yeah, I think um, hmm. maybe to take a step back, like to frame what the assignments were about and what my experience was, I think a lot about a particular teaching that Suryu talked a lot about that really is in my bones at this point of, um, you know, you hear a lot of spiritual teachings, especially in the Western world about like having a purpose or like, God's plan for you or something. And like the language around that is very, like, I think has a lot of, um, problems or like things that don't quite work. Um, and so you had a teaching that was like very much in that space, but I think wasn't prone to a lot of the problems that those kinds of frames might have. And so he would talk about a vow and mm-hmm. a vow he would say is like, you know, and I forget exactly how he put it. I'm not quoting him here, I'm paraphrasing, but like a vow is where your own desires and aspirations and goals meet the world and what the world is asking of you. So unlike, um, you know, like a purpose might seem like it's like entirely from you it's like I'm here to do this specific thing and I have to do it and I have to fill it and it's like from me or like God's plan is like the opposite of that it's like totally external there's some destiny you have to fulfill it's like faded and it's like externally imposed like you just have to live up to it and so there there can be kind of a polarity there where it's like either you're too much indexing on like your own self and desires and goals and dreams and skills and stuff, or you're over indexing on the world and the universe. And like, there's something I have to live up to that's external to me. And it's like, no, the vow is the meeting of you and the world. It's like what you dream of and what the world is asking of you. And I've seen that in my own life again and again, how like the value that I have to give is, is, is at that juncture between myself and the world. It's like, if I just have an idea in my head of what I want to do, then that's not going to turn out so well. If I just do the thing that the world is asking of me, then I'm going to be like foregoing my own self and my own desires and dreams. But like the really juicy spot is where I feel called to do something that the world is asking of me Uh, or uh, yeah, like the world might explicitly ask it of me, or it's like, I see something that's missing in the world. And There's almost like a flavor there or um, a mood or an instinct that's cultivated over time where you start to recognize, like, this is what I should steer towards, and you trust it. And that takes iteration and skill to find that. And so... um, I guess that was sort of on my mind with this and in a way this project assignment was like oh this is something i could do for the world that like no, no one asked me to say hey can you give me project assignments uh but i felt called to do that and it seemed like something that i could do for people and you know that they voluntarily decided to sign up for and also you know, I was pretty clear about this of like, hey, I don't expect you to actually do this if if it doesn't feel relevant to you or you, it's not actually a good thing for you. It's not It's not like, I think the, the use of the word assignment might've been a mistake because um, that sort of has connotations of like school or something like that. It's like, it's not school. I'm not checking your homework. Uh, you're not getting graded. I'm not gonna judge you if you don't do it or something like that. It's like, this is an opportunity that you can take if you choose. Um, And so I really wanted to find something in that sweet spot for each person where like it was like knowing who they are, what their skills are, where they're coming from, and also what the world might ask of them or need from them or like what could they do that would be a benefit to the world or that would be good. And, you know, sort of using my own instincts or desires as a uh, compass for that um and so I tried to look for things that based on what I knew about the person would be of benefit to them and the world and that looked really different for different people um but uh yeah it was like highly specific to the person and some of them took some time to figure out I don't know I um used the Twemex Chrome extension to kind of like browse through people's tweets and and get a sense of who they were, were for some people that I didn't know as well. Uh, I limited it to people that I followed that also followed me because that sort of made it easier. But um, some of the people I knew really well, like you and some people I, I didn't know as well. So that made it easier to sort of find something. But yeah, I would like look through their tweets and get a sense like, oh, what's interesting to me here? What are they excited about? What might be beneficial to the world for them to talk more about or do something more with? And Uh, it was really different for each person. But um, for you, uh, yeah, I had a sense that like you are uniquely, especially generous in a way that's uh, good for the world to hear about and to demonstrate to the world. And so uh, I wanted you to show that in the world and uh, also to talk about which specific causes you were excited about, because it's always, you know, from a nonprofit perspective, it's always good for people to be talking about the work that you're doing and uh wanted to bring attention to those good causes trusting your your instincts for who you wanted to support and why and uh yeah that's that seemed like a pretty clear beneficial thing that uh would be good to ask of you
1: cool and i'm curious like what percentage of people completed the assignment
0: oh i don't know the strict percentages but i'd say something like 10 or 20 percent that i know about uh, uh, which is pretty good. I don't know. And I, I think I have a thread of completed assignments as well. i been really, really pleased with what people have done. And some people literally did the thing that I suggested. And then some people took the suggestion of, oh, you can adapt it or do something different. And that was great. People ultimately at the end of the day, people are going to know themselves better than I do. So if something's more alive or exciting to them, that, that, was, that was what I was hoping for. So um, yeah, yeah, I'd say maybe 10, 20% or something like that.
1: Cool. And do you think that you will do it again?
0: <laughs> That's a good question. Um a friend of mine, NVP KP has been talking about uh maybe doing something similar. I don't know if she's going to or not. I hope that she does, but we'll see. Um I could see myself doing it again in a while, maybe 6 months or a year or something. It 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 these sort of like engagement reply game threads are are quite uh, expensive in terms of time. I think it probably took me, I don't know, two or three, four afternoons of time, evenings. Like it it took quite a bit of time to come up with those assignments for people. Uh, I don't know exactly how much time, but um, I think it would be good to wait a while before I did something similar. And uh, I would... It makes me curious about whether there might be a space for something similar that's more persistent or sustainable or ongoing. But I, it's hard for me to imagine what that might look like. But I think, I think it, it like, you know, not to like toot my own horn here, but um, I think the thing that I was doing was a kind of a public service, and that there is benefit to the commons. The collective, the group, the people, however you want to put it, to, to sort of reflect for people, hey, this is something interesting that you could do um, if, if you're interested in it, and to kind of be a mirror for people in that way. And I wonder what it might look like to have that be a more ongoing, continuous function. And uh, it's hard for me to imagine, but but that's something I'm interested in coming out of this exper- experiment.
1: Yeah. I wonder if you could like offer it as a Patreon add-on. Like I will, every two months I will uh-huh. tell you what to do.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I would love well, it. <laughs> I mean, you know, you've been pretty, you messaged me afterwards. and was like, Ooh, what's my next assignment? And uh, <laughs> like, if you are you or someone else is as excited about it as I am, like, I'd, I'd be happy to do that uh, as an ongoing thing for someone. Uh, I think um yeah, that, that that wouldn't be, that would be less expensive in terms of time and energy and, and more more alive if someone's actually uh, as thrilled about it as I am. Um, so anyway, certainly for you or anyone else listening, if, if that's something they're interested in, let me know, be in touch. Yeah. Um, yeah, it felt good. It was a really good, really fun experiment to run. And I am really pleased with what people did with it. And I'll be curious to see if something else evolves either in my own mind or NVP KP or someone else, something like that. Yeah. Cool.
1: Um, so I have a few questions for you.
0: Mm, sure.
1: Can we can we go into that? Um, so I am. I'm curious about, and I know you have. So you have an interview, um, podcast, and it, like where somebody was interviewing you, um, mm-hmm. and that was lovely. And I just have some follow-up where I wasn't getting the exact information that I wanted to know. Oh, okay. So um, um, so I'm I'm curious, mostly like you're so good at making friends. Mm. And I am curious, like if you have any advice for somebody, um, like I feel like that's a huge skill these days um, and fostering community but that's a separate skill. Um, But do you have any tips for like, let's say somebody just has a few friends from high school. Like what, how would you tell them to go out and start making friends? Hmm.
0: Yeah, a few people have said this to me and it's always uh, surprising to me. Um, I guess on the one hand, it is something that I've worked on over the years or like thought about, but also, it just seems like, I mean, I I guess with your skills, generally, you don't notice that like you're good at it, but just, it seems, it seems like quite natural to me to like be friends with people. (laughs) Um, any tips for making friends? Um, hmm. yeah, I think it's tricky because this is something that I'm like, unconsciously competent at, so it's a little bit tricky. And I'd be curious to see what here, like, what it is that you see me doing. But I think maybe that the one thing that comes to mind is like, just to keep in touch with people. Um, like if you think of someone, that's the time to poke them and say, hey, I was mm-hmm. thinking of you. I had a dream about you. I was thinking about you. I remembered the time that we did the thing. I had a question for you. You know, I saw this article and it made me think of you. Um, just, even if it's just like, hi, how are you doing? Um, you know, being in touch with people is really good. And if you are in touch with people, that's good. Even even if it's been years, like reach out to someone, they'll appreciate it. Um, you know, just say, hey, here's what I've been up to recently, I miss you. I, you know, was wondering how you're doing, would love to hear from you. Just being in touch with people is the basis of friendship. Uh, and if there's someone you wanna be in touch with, get in touch. Um, it doesn't really matter how long it's been if, if you're a friend like if it's been a decade since you've talked to them uh, they're still you still have the connection that you have um yeah, I think uh I like to remember people's birthdays I, I like once a month I check uh, whose birthdays are coming up over the next couple of months and that's that's a good excuse to be in touch with someone at least once a year and when, when you're when you become friends with someone it's nice to ask when their birthday is uh, so that you can do that and um, That's nice. Uh, But it's also good to remember people at the stuff that's like special to you and your relationship with them. So I was thinking about you, I saw this article, you know, I was wondering about this, like, that's, that's, that's the really special stuff. And um, I don't know. uh, It's a little bit like there's a metaphor that's coming to mind to me of like, it's a little bit like doing scales for a musical instrument piano or something of like, the point is to play an instrument beautifully and like to play music, but you have to like have some certain basics down and like talking to someone when you think of them is kind of the basics and that's like, yeah, it's like formulaic and it's like mechanical to like say hi to someone on their birthday or to reach out when you're thinking of them. But like, if you do that, then you're in a position to like show up at the concert and play an instrument and beautifully. Um, And that's what friendship is. And uh, I think also maybe something that's coming to mind too, is like, I've thought a lot about, um, at least for me, but I think for others as well, people have maybe something like bad models of what it takes to become friends or how you become friends or what it involves. And like, it's like, I I don't know exactly how to put this, but it's something like if you just talk to someone once for five minutes, you're not friends with them yet. Uh, But it's actually like not that much harder than that to become friends with someone. It's like, I think it takes basically like two good conversations to become friends with someone. Like you have to have a good conversation with them once, enjoy it. They have to enjoy it. And then you have to like, follow up and have another good conversation with them. It's like if you basically if you put like two to four hours into getting to know someone and you're both enjoying it like you're friends and you can be friends for the rest of your life if you want to and you can wait five years and then talk to them again and there's still that basis for friendship you've still put in the time to like get to know them a little bit and it doesn't mean like they're your best friend like that you're incredibly intimate that you know everything about each other after two to four hours but like, you have the shared context for having a friendship. I mean, I asked Visa about this when he was on my podcast, I was like, what is a friend to you? And he's like, it's having shared context. And I don't think that's actually complete. I think there's more than that, but like it's kind of like a necessary ingredient that is overlooked. It's like, you just need shared context of who the other person is, where they're coming from, what they're interested in. And it doesn't actually take that long to get shared context. Uh, takes like two to four hours on a Zoom call or in person or like reading their tweets over a while or, you know, subscribing to their email newsletter or whatever. It's like you need shared context to be in a position to like build a beautiful friendship. And so it it kind of takes work and effort to build that context, but it's not that much work. It's, it's surprisingly little. So uh, you might as well put in that work with, I mean, even a lot of people, I think there's no upper bounds on like if it takes two to four hours to get to know someone well enough to have that context, like you can do that with a lot of people in this lifetime. And then the more people you do that with, the more you can connect them and have good outcomes that you didn't expect. Like someone's looking for a job and then you meet someone else and you help them get a job or like you can, you know, set up all kinds of connections. So uh, yeah, that's something that really excites me at this point is like the meta connections that are possible when you have, a huge network of people that you trust and enjoy their company and and so on.
1: I love it. And uh, one other thing that I, when we were becoming friends, one mm-hmm. thing that I noticed that you did, which I found very comforting, is at one point you said, you called me a friend or you said, you know, we're friends. And just like stating it, I was like, oh, we're friends. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that removed for me the ambiguity of you know, oh, I don't know. I don't know if Tasha likes me. Tasha really mm. cool. Am I cool enough for Tasha? You know, that sort of like high school um, mentality. And so I was like, oh, we're friends. Cool. That's mm. good. Yeah. Well,
0: that's really sweet to hear. I don't know I often have that mentality with people. And so it's nice to hear that. Uh, yeah, you didn't have that in our, our friendship because it's, it's not fun. And uh, I think that probably to some extent comes from you know, I use the term friend, like as a spiritual practice from, from the Quakers, I picked that up at Maple and, uh, yeah, basically seeing everyone as a friend or a potential friend is, is a good practice. And then noticing if there's dissonance with like using the word friend, it's like, Ooh, what's that about? Um, (laughs) that's meaningful information. And, um, yeah, Sometimes that makes people uncomfortable. They're like, "We're not friends." But I'd say, by and large, it's like <laughs> it's it's a it's been a good practice for me that uh, builds the basis of of true friendship. So just to view everyone as a friend or potential friend and be open to that.
1: Yeah, I think that that is that that's helpful. Just like that framework, because if you're going into it like, oh, I don't know if they're a friend or not or whatever, then like it's gonna take a lot to. Get through that. It's
0: cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I think also like, um, I'm sure that self-acceptance also comes into like if you accept yourself, then you're accepting other people, and then it's easier to be friends with them. Um
0: yeah. definitely, definitely. And almost um mutual self-acceptance of like every friendship is really unique and special and different than other friendships. And so not only do you have to accept yourself and the other person, but like you have to accept and co-create what arises when you two are friends. And it's like, every friendship that I have is like very unique and different. And there's commonalities of course, but um, what's possible in relationship is different with each pairing of of people.
1: Totally. Yes. Um, Cool. Well, this was actually really, really helpful information about friendship Mm -hmm. and um, I can't help, but see it as a mini course. But I'll move on.
0: <laughs> Someone that. else told me that. They were like, you should make a course on how to be friends sure. or also on how to use social media effectively. And yeah. I don't know. I, I, cheering on that in the background. I'm, I'm not sure if I'll do that or not, but it's an interesting reflection from, from other people about what I might be able to offer the world. Um.
1: So similar. similarly, I think another um, talent perhaps that comes naturally to you, or maybe you've worked on this a lot and it's hard one, um, but is being vulnerable. And mm. so you seem really good at being vulnerable. And so I'm, I'm curious, like, did you cultivate it? Um, what, what's the history of that?
0: Yeah, I think you're gonna have to help me again here. What, what is it that you see as vulnerable that's unusual? Or like, how does um, that manifest?
1: I- yeah, I would say um, being you're. I think that you're you're very honest and open, and um, like you're you're fine to convey your experience exactly as it is. Hmm.
0: Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um... Yeah. My mind is sort of running through past interactions with you and I'm like imagining, oh yeah, you could, you could experience that as vulnerable. That's true. That was vulnerable. Um, Hmm. I think I have had practice from life and what comes to mind in particular is circling. I've done a lot of circling at Maple and uh, that was definitely helpful. I think circling is great. I think it's not perfect. We talked, I talked about that with uh, Lindsay earlier on this podcast, but like, there's some limitations to circling. I think there's maybe I would do it slightly differently than the ways that I've been exposed to it in the past, but, but that was certainly a helpful practice for me. And, um, yeah, one thing from circling was like framing things in terms of your own experience. Uh, a lot of people sort of make the mistake of like talking about other people's experience or, putting narratives or stories onto other people's experience. Whereas if you've put things in terms of your own experience, then like, that's very safe. As long as you're being honest, you're like, yeah, I'm experiencing this over here. Um, So that, that was really helpful because it makes me feel safe in conversation because if someone is upset by my experience, then like, that's not on me. I don't know. Um, It's not my fault. If I, just honestly share my experience and then they have some reaction to that or something. Um, yeah, and there's sort of a metaphor that's coming to mind as well of like, almost uh, like pressure in the system, like a hose or something like that of, on the one hand, if you if there are things that you have to say that need to be said and you don't say them, then that that I've seen again and again, how that causes me like emotional psychic psychological pain to like not say something that needs to be said in a relationship. Um, even if it's scary, it's like, that's a bad outcome. And then similarly, if I do say the thing that needs to be said, then I've seen again and again, how relieving that is and also how it can create really beautiful outcomes. It's hard to predict what will happen when you say something that's vulnerable, but if you do it, it, things change. (laughs) Uh, It's hard to predict how they'll change, but like generally it's been a positive outcome for me. If I say something vulnerable and I say it in a way that's about my own experience and it's, you know, as skillful as I possibly can, there's usually something that's vulnerable. It's easy to say in a way that's like hurtful or harmful or like not beneficial or useful. But if you take care to say it in a way that is kind and useful and so on and true, it's not, you know, you're not saying something false um that you're not also not expecting a specific outcome not trying to like manipulate someone into having a specific reaction um then it goes well and that that does take practice to like yeah basically practice speaking things it's like right speech uh this is a big theme for me of things that are uh accurate useful or beneficial kind in the words kind in the state of mind that you have, as you say it, and that it's timely, that it's the right context for saying something. Those are the attributes of right speech in Buddhism. And it like takes practice to do that. And then if it doesn't go well, you can usually, if you if you have some kind of interaction that doesn't go well, you can like review it, do mindful review essentially, and be like, well, what was that speech act? And often one of those variables is not there. Like, oh, I wasn't in a kind state of mind. Or, oh, this was a good thing to say, but it wasn't the right time or context to say it, or that actually wasn't accurate, or, um, you know, it wasn't really even a useful or beneficial thing to say. Like, it didn't add any value or something. It was just coming from an emotion or something. Um, Yeah, so that takes practice, but uh, that framework has been really helpful for me. And, uh, yeah, just seeing both how it's painful to not say something and how it's really if you say something skillfully, how it's usually a positive outcome. Um, Usually I'm afraid that again and again, I like confront the fear that someone will be angry at me if I say something vulnerable and the actual amount of times that people are actually angry at me is quite few. And even when they are, it's not the end of the world. Uh, It's like, they're mad at me for a while. And then it heals after time. So they say something that's vulnerable for them. That is about what I said. And then, I hear them and listen to them and process it. And it, it all works out in the end if you're, if you're kind and well-intentioned.
1: And so you're on this pneumatic journey at the mm-hmm. moment. And what do you think you are learning through that? Or maybe just in context of like what's happening in your life right now? Um, doesn't have to be in the context of the nomadic journey. Just curious about what lessons you think you're working through or.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, I think this has been a process of like trying to find right livelihood for me, both in terms of how to earn money, but also how to just live broadly and like where to live and when and how. And uh, the options that have been available to me have not been to my satisfaction for various reasons. I've never felt very called to have a traditional job or like apartment or house. Um, The time I briefly owned, had an apartment for like a year, a while back. And that just didn't feel like the right thing for me for, you know, at at the time, I mean, maybe it would be in the future. I, I mean, it might be useful at some point to get a house or apartment, but like I'm not like opposed to it, but it just hasn't felt like the right thing for me. And similarly, I think doing monastic training was really good for me. I'm really grateful for that, but uh, it doesn't feel like the right livelihood for me at this time either. So it's like, well, if I'm not going to be a householder and I'm not going to be a monk, like what is there? And it's like, well, I, you know, hit on the idea of asking friends who would be willing to host me and move from place to place so um i wanted it to be like four to six weeks because because i'm doing like this podcast and saturday night meta and other things where it's like i need to schedule things that are online so a very online pilgrim wanderer person um that's like how i can be of service in the world is, is through the internet so it makes sense to stay places for like a month or so on if i can because uh i need to schedule things and and sort of uh, have various responsibilities, but no, that's, that's a really good amount of time a month or six weeks is like, that's enough time to, um, I haven't figured out how to frame this exactly, but like, I think if I spend that amount of time with someone, it, it's of course, practically beneficial to me to have a place to sleep and so on, to be able to do the things I need to do. Um, my hope would be that it's also of benefit to that person, that like, the, like interacting with me and the way that I live my life would be beneficial for them. And I know that it's beneficial to me to see how someone else lives and how they uh, interact. And, and so it's like, I know I have something to learn from each person that I meet. And so that's a time to learn something from each person. Uh, it's different to who they are and what my relationship is with them. But each person I've stayed with so far, I've learned so many things from them. Uh, it's like for a time they're kind of a teacher to me or a, or a spiritual friend, and I can learn something wise and good and useful from them, a huge variety of things. Um, and similarly, I would I would hope to have that benefit for someone else as well. Yeah, like uh, Chris called it like a spiritual friend. It's like I, I don't want to be someone's teacher, but like living together, uh, you learn from each other how to live well and everyone has different pieces of wisdom about that. And something I'm really learning as well with that is like uh, seeing the variety of ways people live. And like, there's just people live really differently. Like uh, the habits that they have, the the, the beliefs that they have, the way they spend their time, uh, just practical things about like how they keep their house or something are just very different in different homes and from different people. And For me, it's been a really good practice to be highly adaptable, Uh, like, oh, to like quickly see this is how this person lives their house in their house. And like, how can I be a guest that's like a really good guest that that doesn't make things difficult for them, but to the contrary, like makes it easier for them and that they're happy that I'm here. And uh, by being in different places for a month or six weeks, it's like I'm getting to see pretty wide variety and like getting a lot of practice with that kind of adaptation
1: and what are your some of your favorite habits or um ways of living that you've witnessed
0: from other people um yes i think um hmm Well, the first person I stayed with was Sylvia in Portugal, and uh, I learned a lot from Sylvia. I think the most obvious thing is I started drawing while I was with her and, uh, you know, seeing her draw, I really learned a lot from that and was inspired to start drawing. <clears throat> um, let's see, I started stretching most days when I was with her. She's She's extremely flexible and stretches every day, and she talks about that occasionally and I picked that up from her and being less flexible. Uh, that was a good influence on me. Um, I don't know. Uh, there, there were a lot of other things that I learned from Sylvia that would be hard to describe, but those are some of the sort of more concrete and obvious things. I mean, I picked up some Portuguese while I was there. That was great. Uh, I got to see you. That was wonderful. Um, let's see. And then I was in Austin with my friend, Timothy, and then also Pranab. And... Timothy helped me to, um, there had been this movement program I had been interested in for a while. That's like, it's called uh, ATG or the knees over toes guy. And uh, I have had some injuries in my right knee and leg. And uh, he had done this program before. It's like sort of for knee repair and strengthening. And uh, he helped me to kind of learn how to do that, which was really helpful, They it's sort of like an online gym, <laughs> online gym, uh, but it was really helpful to have him just kind of walk me through the exercises and give me feedback on that. And um, there were some other sort of like movement things that I learned from Timothy and um, yeah, also uh, some sort of like practical mechanical skills. He was kind of good at that sort of thing. And I picked up a few things from watching him. Um, Pranab was also really, really generous. Uh, I was just really touched by how kind and generous he was and thoughtful Um, and his, his family was as well. And that was something I learned from being with him and, uh, was impressed by. And, uh, yeah, um, my current host, I've also learned some like mechanical skills from her and, uh, she sort of walked me through doing some repairs to her house and that's been cool. And, uh, she's also really wise. She says things to me in like every conversation. I'm like, Whoa, this is so, (laughs) so wise. And, uh, really helpful. And, um, she's also really well connected and like, she follows, um, I don't know, maybe 4,000 people on Twitter and like, has this like huge awareness of so many different things that are happening in the world that I had like no idea about. And so she's constantly telling me about different things that I had like no idea about. Like, for example, just as one example, she told me in the first day that I was here that like, she was pretty sure that there was going to be fusion energy in the next few years and i was like wow that would be really cool I, and like got to learn about what fusion energy is from her and like why she's like pretty certain that it'll be like a lot sooner than people expect and stuff like that and it's like that's really cool uh so um and she's also she's also very optimistic um like she's realistically optimistic she's not like naively optimistic but i've appreciated learning about that from her and like having that perspective that's been, that's been refreshing for me. Um, yeah. So I don't know that that's sort of a, that's who I've been with so far, but like, maybe you can get a sense of like each person that I'm with it. It's like, and certainly with you talking to you or the people that I'm have on my podcast or really any interaction I have, it's like, there's this mutual exchange of information and energy and uh, mood and and ideas. And that itself is like, seems to me to be like kind of an intrinsic good. And, uh, when I spend say a month or six weeks with someone, that's like some time for that exchange to happen at a really deep level where it's like, you really, uh, learn a lot from someone, uh, at a, at a kind of a deeper level and things that can't be transmitted just through like a blog post or a tweet or, uh, you know, a video or something like that. Like you live with someone and see how they live and, they see how you live. And, and that, that exchange happens at a really deep level.
1: Sounds really cool.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's been good for me. Uh, I've enjoyed it so far. And as I told Chris, I, I don't know how long I'll do it for, but uh, it's sort of the plan for now and it seems to be good so far. So I'm going to keep doing it for a while.
1: Yeah. And I can imagine you have like a growing list of people who want to host you.
0: That's right. Yes. I have a, I'm keeping a list on my computer and uh, there are a lot of people, but also if if someone wants to uh, host me, that's, that's good information to have. And uh, I try to pick the place. Well, one I, I'm sort of working out what my norms are, but like, it's been helpful to not decide too far in advance where I'm going. Although I'm currently booked out until late February, but um, yeah. uh, Or even early March, but, um, but like I, ideally I think I'd decide at the place where I'm going next and then uh also like I, i've been trying to pick the place where it's like yeah this would be of the most benefit to go next both both for me and for the other person and ideally for the world Is like what feels most in alignment like this is the place i should go but yeah if someone wants to host me definitely get in touch that's really helpful information <laughs> yeah hmm. did you have any other questions you wanted to talk about or anything you wanted to say more about the different things we've talked about
1: Yeah, um, I have two more questions. And Hmm. the first is, what is something that you recently feel like you've achieved some mastery over learning?
0: Ooh, exciting. Uh, The first thing that comes to mind is Tai Chi. I've been working all year on learning the Tai Chi form, the student Tai Chi form. Um, And we've just finished the, the four, there's 14 sections and uh, just finished that. And that took over eight months to learn. And um, I I definitely have not mastered it, but I've kind of got the basics down and that's a, that's a big milestone for me. And uh, it's pretty clear to me that I'll be practicing that for a long time, like probably the rest of my life. And it feels so good to practice it. It's, I wish I'd started it sooner. Um, I don't know. I, I, I've had a lot of agony over the years of like how much, frankly, how much I don't like seated meditation. Uh, and yet I've done thousands and thousands of hours of it and, um, movement meditation, standing meditation, lying down meditation have just felt so much better for my body. And, um, Tai Chi definitely is just, it's, um, it's hard to convey from just looking at it, how wonderful it feels from the inside. It, like, I don't, to me, at least, I don't know about this experience, but it looked kind of like slow and boring and like, I don't know, like, yeah, that looks cool, but like, what's the point, but it feels so good to do. And, and um, it really gets energy flowing in your body. And um, there's been a whole lot that I've learned about how to move my body and uh, like how movement works and sort of a graceful, smooth way of moving. Um, this is actually something I learned from Sylvia, like pretty early on. she's She she got this immediately and she could kind of show this to me, but like uh, she she just showed it to me with a motion of her hand, I think, but like, like that you can move. Uh, my hands are shaking now because I've had caffeine and it's been a conversation. But um, like, you can move slowly and gracefully, being aware of each moment, as many moments as possible. Uh, and it doesn't even—the way she put it—it's like people talk about like slow is smooth and smooth is fast. But she's like, it's not actually about it being slow. It's like, how many moments can you be mindfully aware of what's happening per motion? Uh, and there's a lot of moments if you are able to perceive it. And that's what creates the smoothness is, is the mindfulness, not the slowness. Slowness is a tool for uh, having that kind of smoothness. And so every time I practice Tai Chi, that's a, a chance to move, practice moving with that grace and ease and uh. I don't know. I mean, frankly, I, th- I think like for whatever reason, the way that I've moved my body over the year has has been very like awkward and and um, sort of staccato and like linear. And this is a, a much more smooth and graceful and flowing and circular, mindful way of moving that is slowly incorporating itself into my nervous system. And uh, I love practicing it so much. So yeah, that's what that's what comes to mind is Tai Chi. Cool. That's
1: inspiring.
0: Hmm.
1: okay last question stolen from tim ferris if (laughs) you could put one statement on a billboard what would it be
0: wow uh um someone asked me recently what the greatest gift that i have to give the world is i was like oh man that's a hard question uh and the way i answered it was sort of responding to the way they framed it but the thing that came to mind is like truly being yourself is the greatest gift that you can give the world Mm -hmm. uh so i might put that on on on, it's like yeah truly being yourself is the greatest gift you can give the world and i don't know if if you have something like that it's going to sound cliche but um i think that's something that i really needed to hear over at least over the last decade or of my life or so is like I think it would have been really useful to hear that. So maybe I'd put that on a billboard.
1: I love it. That's great.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I feel I'm going to be vulnerable here. I, I feel a little embarrassed because uh, I don't know why, but yeah, just like I, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been, it's been sort of a pleasantly unexpected direction, but it's it's been nice to talk with you about all these things and uh I um, think I'm also invested in people seeing I, 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 in general I, I think of the podcast as like a way to showcase someone and show the world who they are and like give them a chance to shine and give their gifts to the world and uh, I ideally with the, each episode I would like have a chance for that for each person and um, I would really hope that your gifts have come through through this episode and would encourage people to like follow you on Twitter and, um, you know, sign up for a newsletter for the crypto philanthropy club and just whatever you end up doing. I think uh, the, the love that you have for the world and the generosity that you demonstrate and the kindness are really beautiful. And um, I hope that that's come through in this episode and the people see that and uh, learn more about what you're doing in the world because it's been really inspiring to me personally. So, so thank you for that.
1: Well, thank you so much for being my friend and for being just an amazing, inspiring person. And um, yeah, I like your light in the world is very strong and um, it's really lovely to be in touch with it.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you, friend. Thank you. It's been good to spend time with you today. Thank you for it.
1: For sure. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity to chat. It's been really lovely.
0: My pleasure.